but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so it's a story that I'll tell at another time in another place, but I had occasion to spend a lot of time sitting in airline terminals recently. And... And one of them, and while I was sitting in the airline terminal, you, you, as you probably well know, you sit in these airline terminals and you just stare out the window because you know you look at airplanes. It could be a terminal condition. It, yeah, right, yeah, right. Well, if not terminal, at least you know. I don't know. There's a joke in there someplace. Anyways, I, you, geez, you, you might know, not be dead, but you'd wish. You no, were. There's that. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is, as a rule, I ignore Dave when he makes these bad puns, and I just got sucked into that one just a minute ago. So, anyways, back to my back I'm to my story. Just I'm, think I'm, I'm out. I'm trying to stay above all of this. <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting in this airline terminal, staring out the window, and um, and a gate within my uh, uh, my uh, line of sight um, had a uh, what turned out to be an MD80 uh, taxied up, um, and uh, and and I'm notoriously bad with aircraft recognition, but uh, an MD80 is a uh, is a uh, a uh, how would I describe it? A, t- a t- twin engine um, attached to the rear fuselage T-tail uh, aircraft. So it taxis up to the gate, and it's kind of pointing more or less nose straight at me sitting in the in the waiting area. And I can very clearly see the horizontal stabilizers, the elevators, all right, at the back of the aircraft because they're up so high. And and I suddenly noticed that the, that the, the elevator control surfaces were not move you know they were kind of moving up and down i don't know if it was the wind or what but they were moving up and down but they were not moving up and down together right it's like on one side it was dramatically up and the other side was slightly down all right and the one that was up would move and then they they were just kind of moving separate from each other all right they're, they're twins from separate mothers which is very contrary no man what, what it was you know the, they had a mechanical delay and the pilot and co-pilot are in the cockpit going, meow, meow. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Well, that may explain why they were going up and down. My question was, why are they not going up and down together? All right, to the to the left and the right of the of the vertical uh, stabilizer. All right, the the horizontal control surfaces are not going up and down together, all right? And they, was, they, they haven't spoken to one another in years. And I would have thought that the, that the, on, on the tail surfaces, it's not like the ailerons that obviously move separately, um, that, they, that they would move up and down together. And I couldn't quite understand this. Do you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, enough fooling around. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do, yeah. And, and, I, and, and, and is this familiar to you? Is it, would you go, oh, yeah, they do that? Oh, yeah, they do that. All right, why? It's redundancy. <sighs> All right, hang on. Jeb, you went off way off in the distance. Where'd you go? Can you hear me now? You're coming back. How about now? Slowly. Really? Yeah, really. Who was it that made the yow noise? Because that might have... That was me. You might have muted yourself. You're, it'll take a few minutes for your, uh, for your gain to come back. I muted myself? Well, no, the Skype has automatic gain control, and whenever, you got, whenever somebody hollers, Skype right. just like mutes itself way down. Not mute, but it... It's, it, it's you know... It, it's, I've been working to try to get my game back since 2008, and it's still like that, okay? <laughs> it's so, an age so, thing, Jeb. It never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of, of um, financial crises, but never, nevertheless. 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 Um, differential elevators. What, differential is this a common elevator. thing, Jeb? Yes, it's a, it's a feature, not a buck. W- what's it all about? It's about redundancy. I, I Basically, yeah. uh, what's going on is uh, it, it's uh, is my understanding anyway. I'm not a, an MD80 um, uh, um, uh, engineer by any stretch, 
but uh, this, the hydraulic system has some redundancy built into it. And basically, when both yokes move in unison, they, they lock themselves into place. Um, but in case uh, there's a hydraulic failure in one of the other systems, uh, putting the, the um, uh, yokes out of phase okay, uh, means one of them is broken and is disabled. The other one works the, uh, works the pitch attitude. And how does the system know which one is correct and which one's broken? It's because it's broken. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, seriously. No, 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 no. Basically, the, the system that's not working isn't doing anything. Not so moving, the, the you one, mean? We're not moving, okay, right. right. So the one that is working uh, uh, controls the attitude of the aircraft. Mm -hmm. That's my understanding of all of that. Okay. But when the airplane's in flight, they both move in unison. Okay. Does that make sense, that's, David? Yeah. That, yeah, and that, that's actually true, and they have separate trim systems generally, yes. too. Yes. Uh, yes. And the uh, the beauty of those things is that they can have an anti-servo tab and then still trim like a stabilator mm -hmm. by being able to move the entire horizontal surface independent of the elevator. So you set your trim for takeoff, mm -hmm. which dials both sides into a preset position based on your weight and density altitude and yada, yada. Do uh, you roll on that? And that stays where it is. As you rotate off the elevators, take over the anti-servo tabs, help relieve the pressure, you set trim for climb, and everything lines up for that trim attitude. You set trim for cruise, everything lines up for that trim. And it stays in that spot with the elevators doing the deviation necessary uh, to respond to pitch inputs. So they work very differently than what private aircraft do. But the ultimate is... Their normal operation, they they function together. Mm -hmm. And like Jim says, if one breaks, it basically don't move. But you still got the other side. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. So, and and all kidding aside, why were they were they were they being moved by the wind there when they were sitting at the gate? Or probably right. This. I was right. No, I told you, man. The pilot's up there in yeah, the front. Okay, don't, you know, don't make a lot playing, of noise. Playing zoom, playing zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom. Okay, mm. all right. Uh, that's a title for this episode if I ever heard one, huh? Hey, welcome. Well, it, yeah. You know, they, th those guys moved the controls from the flight deck, and yeah. a guy on the ground with a headset plugged into the front of the cockpit intercom looks up there and says, yeah, they're moving. Mm. Okay. That may have well, been what you were seeing. Well, well also, too, um, as as the crews, you know, climbing in and out of their seats and and messing around in the cockpit, the yoke will get bumped and things like this. So yeah. that could be part of it, also. Um, yeah, the wind could have been moving them around uh, if if there was no hydraulic pressure on them. Uh, but I just I just find that to be a little odd. Yeah. I, is that with an airplane that has a cable backup system to the hydraulics? That's where what the I'm hydraulics just about really don't do a, yeah. anything but a boost. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there is a cable backup to that system. We we know that there's a source, you know, a, a source spot in the the trim system, the jack screw. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, on that aircraft too, or I know the seven thirty seven. They named it after you, Hodgson. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, the basic design um, incorporates a jack screw right. to activate um, um, the trim tab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if the trim tab servo, anti servo, or whatever. Um, but uh, that jack screw occasionally needs to be lubricated, and occasionally it hasn't been. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't remember the flight number, but it was an Alaskan Airlines aircraft that went into the Pacific um, back in like 2000, mm -hmm. 2001. Um, 
Oh, right. It had been running so dry yeah. so long that exactly. the spalls eventually stripped the threads out of the jack screw. Really? Exactly. Wow. exactly. And it made it a free-flying control surface. Crew had no, ultimately no pitch control. Um, uh, did a lawn dart in the Pacific, Ouch. about five Ouch. or six miles off, cut, off the Which coast. Which is kind of what happens with MD-80s and longer airplanes if you don't have pitch control because that system if memory serves me works really hard to keep the the uh, tail uh, down and if you lose that control Probably. the nose goes yeah. down yeah yeah I'll tell you another another observation during my my uh, copious airline flying recently. I, I was seated in a I forget what kind of airliner it was, but I, I was seated just um, I was in a window seat just behind the trailing edge of the wing. One aisle or two? Say again. One one, one aisle. aisle or yeah, two. one aisle. So I'm in this window seat. Um, it's probably like a 737. It was almost certainly a 737. Anyways, um, so we uh, we landed on touchdown, and those big spoilers flip up to help them slow down. And when the spoilers flip upward, you suddenly can see a lot more of the kind of innards of the wing, you know, all the different <laughs> you know, stuff, right? Actuators and gears and jack screws, right? And And a lot of it looks comfortingly tough, except... Spanning sort of basically just behind what I sort of would call the, uh, the the spar of the wing, all right, are these two little wire cables that are just running the whole length all the way. They're heading out to the wingtip, all right, and they kind of disappear two-thirds of the way out there. And, you know, amongst all this heavy-duty equipment, you know, levers and gears and push rods are these two little pieces of, of wire cable. And I'm thinking, what in the world? That's the ailerons, man, and we're all dependent on that's, those two little wires. No, that's that's the wing jettison system. That's right. That's the wing jettison <laughs> system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh, that was. I thought uh, that was only on Australian airplanes. Uh, Australian pipers, uh, or Cherokees, as I recall. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, so was it was it a wire or was it a cable? I mean, could you see twist in it? Yeah, I believe it was a cable. I, it was a, okay. it was a, it was a sort of a wire rope. It was a cable, as you know. And uh, there were two of them. I, I, I presume I didn't really see them move. I couldn't quite make them out their motion. Was either one of them under compression? Uh. Compression? Pushing? Uh, okay. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from UCAP World Headquarters in uh, snowy, rainy, melty Epping, New Hampshire. And oh, if it's Friday, it must be New Hampshire. That's right, yeah. You said Epping or Epping? Epping. Epping. E-P-P. Epping. Uh, I'm talking here with my two good friends. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. The weather's been great here. I'm sorry to hear you're, you know, kind of under it. Well, uh, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's spring, but we'll come back to that later on. What's going yeah, on with you? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah pr pretty much the same here. Um, um, getting, you know, stuff done, tackling a bunch of projects, um, just trying to uh, have a good time, enjoy life. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And that other voice is Dave Higdon, uh, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? You recovered from my visit? I was down there just recently. It was cool. Oh, yeah. That one was an easy one. Uh, had a lovely time with Mr. Hodgson. Yeah. He visited, visited us. Uh, he's been here, he was here in the air capital for three-plus three days' worth of hours. Yeah. And, uh, the bride and I were uh, privileged to have uh, dinner with him uh, on Monday night in uh, one of our favorite uh, places. In uh, what was that place where, called? 
uh, wasabi. Wasabi. That's what I thought. Okay, that's right. I've, yeah. I've, I've been there before. Yeah. 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 So uh, and, uh, it was a lovely evening, nice and quiet. We're having a beautiful day here today. Uh, got to watch a first flight earlier in the week. See an air-to-air formation flight. Uh, really? Yeah. What'd you say? Oh, oh, totally by accident. Oh. I don't know what this is. Is this good or bad? What What would you see? Can you tell us? Well, it was the uh, new Cessna Citation, uh, the Latitude, that made its first flight earlier this week. Ah. And when I was out on an errand earlier this week and looked up in the middle of the day and saw two uh, larger-than-light-jet-sized airplanes flying at an unusually low attitude in a spot in the arrival pattern for Wichita Mid-Continent that I don't usually see them in at a lower-than-usual altitude and in formation, obvious, because they were turning together. Uh, I saw them as they were rolling out in one turn and then watched them roll into another and in perfect unison. And it's like, you know, that just doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, yeah. somebody yeah. planned that. They, they've, right. they've done this before. They've done this before. Uh, and came into the office and fired up the email, and, oh, boom, there it is. Citation latitude, first flight, uh, accomplished all their check marks. It's been a lovely week. Seeing old friends, dinner out, first flights, warm mm-hmm. weather. Uh, I can't wait to see what winter has for us next. Yeah, well, it's almost over. That's why I was say. I, I consider winter to be over. So I'm in, this, in the midst of this crazy travel schedule for my for my day job, and uh, I, I basically have like I'm now down to five days left in New Hampshire before um, spring. I'm, I'm traveling so much that I will only be in New Hampshire six, five, six more days. Which, which, as of the time we're recording this, is exactly four weeks away. Right. It's late. It's mid to late February right now. Um, yeah, well, I think it's usually the same part of February pretty much every year. Okay. So, anyways, what else is going on? So, uh, <laughs> pretty soon we're going to start talking a lot about sun and fun. But there have been a couple of air venture stories in the news recently. Um, air venture has been been uh, gradually uh, uh, kind of. Uh, uh, Opening the kimono—that's not a quite a good. <laughs> They've been gradually revealing some of the uh, cool aircraft you, that you, will you be. Don't show the shark in the first reel. That's right. They've been gradually revealing some cool uh, aircraft uh, and and a thing things that are going to happen um, at Air Venture this year. One of them is, uh, and this is not a hundred percent, but there's this guy who's been building a replica of the GB. Um, which is a, a, a legendary classic racer aircraft, um, and uh, that uh, so the GB has an interesting history, and you guys probably, perhaps can tell it better than I. But my understanding of it is, is that it was a, it was a legendary race aircraft like a long time ago. I mean, like forty, fifty years ago. And, How about nineteen thirty four? Right, and then it, and then it kind of disappeared because it was apparently really dangerous airplane back in the day. Um, um, very very unstable. That's one of the things that made it. So it was perfectly safe unless you made a tiny mistake. Yeah, right. Um, and so it disappeared. And then back in the sort of I don't know, I'd, I'd say mid to late nineties, um, a guy named Delmar Benjamin um, built a replica, um, and uh, he flew it at air shows for four or five or six summers, and then. Uh, um, and then retired it. Um, it never had an incident that I'm aware of, but uh, retired it, and uh, it and it disappeared from the air show circuit. And oh, it went into a museum. And and I and I did a little research. Apparently, it's in Fantasy of Flight down there in Florida. Um, and now um, this new guy, and I'm going to dig for his name here real quickly. Um, let's see now, who is it who's doing this? Um, 
Rich Aldridge. Thank you. Rich Aldridge is uh, is building another uh, GB rep, rep, replica, which um, uh, he's, he's finishing one for the guy that started it, Jim Moss. Oh, is that the way it works? Okay. Yeah, Jim started this years ago, and he passed away at 82. Uh, I believe it was last year. Uh, and uh, Rich Aldridge... Uh, Came forward, finished it up, and got it flying. Yeah. Now, if and you're now not familiar, on bringing it to Oshkosh. If someone's not familiar with the GB, and it's GB, not BG, it's the GB. It's spelled G E E B E E, um, and it's a it's a it's a unique looking aircraft. I mean, it, it you know it's it's it, you can really really truly start with the definition of an engine with wings. All right. I mean, it's just like this big barrel shaped big fuselage. Um, with relatively short wings, big landing gear. I've always found the landing gear, fixed landing gear, to be very, very big looking. Um, a, a relatively small empennage, um, a, a cockpit that's a little bit far back on the fuselage, and uh, uh, you know, and it's just all about racing and speed. And um, what, what's, what's interesting to me with the QED, which is yeah, what is that a lad phrase? Oh, that which must be demonstrated. Ah, uh, okay. okay. It's a, it's, it's. Boy, it's it's one of those phrases that they teach in Latin classes, law school, and in the priesthood. Uh, the QED, which is this reproduction, it actually should be called a reinterpretation. Okay. Because it's a departure of some significance from the original GBR-1. Uh it's longer. It has a greater wingspan. It has twice the horsepower, half the fuel, and a second seat. Oh, okay. If you look closely at the aerial shot that the EAA put on the announcement, if you click on that see bigger image and take a close look at that cockpit. Oh, it is bigger. You're right. I see that now. That's a cockpit for two kitties. Yeah. And they didn't go to all the trouble of putting it in a second seat. On the prospect of not using it, I'm sure. Yeah. So one of my one of my bucket lists <laughs> may actually have a chance of coming true, because gonna... I never really, really in my wildest dreams ever expected to get checked out to solo fly a GB with none of them flying. But this puppy's got a bigger rudder, it's got a bigger tail, it's got uh, more wingspan, it's got a longer fuselage, it's got about twice the horsepower. Uh huh. Uh, it should be a goer. Uh, hopefully everything that they changed will make it more stable, uh, than the original or at least as stable as. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can see it now. You're going to body check Tupper into the grass for the first media ride, right? Here. What was that name again? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so anyways. Hey, uh, hang on. I want, I, I, I want Leo, the guy waiting. You heard that name, right? <laughs> okay, that's the one. That's the guy. Get him out. Take him out. Get him out of the way. Um, is this going to be, so you just mentioned that it's going to be with a difference. Is this basically the same size and as the, uh, as the Delmar Benjamin GB from years ago? No, it's longer, got more wingspan, right, but weighs more, and has twice the horsepower. Okay, but otherwise it's the same, is what my point <laughs> is here. The proportions are almost exactly the same. Uh -huh. The look is the same. But on that second link that you so nicely provided with us, the Wikipedia, there's also a photograph there. And I invite you to look at that puppy at large size and then toggle back 
to the one with the EAA story. Oh, yeah, I, I can already see the difference. You don't have to look at anything more than the canopy, because from the back of the head of the guy in the QED, Quebec Echo Delta version, that from the back of that guy's head to the beginning of the uh, fairing for the tail, that's how much longer the QED is than the original Mm-hmm. And it, it and it's really easy to see. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing the uh, the Delmar Benjamin one at air shows, and one of the things that was I mean one of many things that was cool about it, interesting, notable about it was that he, it's not like the canopy opened up and he kind of climbed up and dropped down into the cockpit. There's a, no, it's got a door. There's a door underneath, and he would climb into this door, sort of almost in the belly, all right, and and he would disappear, and then suddenly his head would pop up in the canopy up above. So uh, it's that kind of thing. Jeb, you're kind of quiet. Do you know anything about the uh, the GB? No, just that it was really a handful. To fly. That's what I've heard. The, yeah. the, origi- the original. I, I always uh, worried about Delmar Benjamin because I saw him in any number of air shows back then mm-hmm. in the uh, mid late eight, mid lit. Yeah, right. Easy for me to say. Mid we, to late. We yeah, tried to never miss him. Yeah, and uh, I always worried that he was going to hurt himself because they, and maybe they were just because you know they were just trying to like you know make it exciting. And they talked a lot about how how unstable and, and quote unquote dangerous the airplane was, mm-hmm. but uh, as far as I know, he never hurt himself in that airplane and uh, eventually just retired it intact to the museum. Uh, when he retired that airplane, he had more airtime in it without a scratch. Than any other pilot in history. Uh, wasn't it like then all the others combined or something like that? I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was the statement of the moment. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. they were saying back then. I remember that. It was a killer at a lot of levels. The original now, it was. Yeah. yeah it, well, the Delmar's reprodu- reproduction was no different than the original. Uh-huh. I mean, right down to where the rivets and the, and the way they bent the angles and formed the wings. That airplane was exactly the same as the original. Uh, so yeah, Delmar's airplane too. It had no, what's the word I want, concessions to make it more stable or less of a handful, mm-hmm. as I put it. Uh, and he told a bunch of us when they had the little ceremony after he flew it the last time, he's retiring it to a museum, uh, he goes, you know, figured that before I wound up like all the other pilots that flew the GBR one, that it was time to quit. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing this one. At, uh, at Air, hope, he's not a hundred percent sure he's going to make it to Air Venture, but he feels like he's going to have it done in time and bring it to Air Venture. So that'll be kind of cool. We're 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 excited at the prospect. We are. We are. <laughs> So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I alluded to earlier, there was, it's been an it's been an uh, uh, interesting weather um, situation this whole winter, but certainly the last couple of weeks, um, there's been been a lot of crazy weather uh, affecting certainly affecting airline travel. And uh, but we're not an airline podcast, so I don't want to talk about that. But I am kind of curious whether uh, what have we heard about how this this crazy winter with all these just nutty storms in all over the eastern half of the United States. Are they affecting GA? Have we heard stories about this? Is it is it just people that just aren't flying, or have there been issues with this? Jeb, you're the safety guy. Have you heard any any stories about uh, problems with weather and GA this year? No, I really haven't. At least not uh, in the last few weeks. Let me put it that way. I you know generally keep tabs on on uh, uh, crashes that occur here, at least here in the U.S. Uh, on an ongoing basis, and I don't recall. 
uh, seeing any spate of uh, weather-related or ostensibly weather-related accidents mm-hmm. in, in recent weeks. Um, you know, there's, there's weather that no aircraft should be flying in. Uh, and certainly, um, the airlines experience that just just as as do uh, as, as does general aviation. Um, the thing about GA, however, is that once the storm comes through, and the airline wakes up the next morning and discovers that um, all of its planes are scattered to hell and gone, all of its pilots are scattered to hell and gone, uh, and it takes them a couple of days to really recoup and get things back uh, to normal, get all the laid over passengers uh, to their destinations, get back on schedule. With GA, you can go the next day mm-hmm. and um, uh, evade, if you will, all of the, the scheduling uh, ills that the airlines are finding themselves in lately. Um, there have been a lot of delays. There's been a lot of canceled flights, especially you know in the Northeast Corridor, for example, and and perhaps uh, uh, Ohio Valley, those, those areas. Um, but uh, and again, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that is in fact the weather itself. But so much of it is the aftermath of the weather, mm-hmm. uh, where again people and planes are out of out of position. Yeah. So um, with with GA, you don't have those issues. You you have other issues. You don't have those issues. Yeah. Jim, or, I'm sorry, Dave. Any thoughts on on you know this crazy weather and how it may or may not be impacting GA? Well, it's definitely affecting GA. I've talked to a couple of, of uh, corporate pilots here uh, this week. Uh, the conversations were on stuff coming up for us next week, but it was like, so where are you? Well, I'm supposed to be there, but I can't get out of here just yet because, and a lot of the effect of GA is because companies set their own operational limitations. Mm-hmm like airlines are required to do, 121, 135s, when they do their paperwork, they develop op specs, and that usually includes operational specifications will often include conditions beyond which they don't want anybody flying. Right. Uh, sometimes we'll go so far as to say, thou shall not do circling approaches at night IMC unless mm-hmm. some conditions are met, that kind of stuff. Right. So very often, although the, uh, the FARs don't, impinge on us our own good judgment does and that's 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 hampered a lot of folks uh there's been a lot of folks that couldn't get to where they needed to go because they were smart enough not to expose their aircraft to the degree and time of icing exposure that it was going to take for them to get in to where they wanted to go even though the airport was open and there was no mechanical problem with landing there. Weather was above minimums. Visibility was above minimum. To get there, they were going to have to be in more icing conditions than they wanted to do. And again, in some cases, the companies say, hey, thou shalt not. Yeah, yeah. So, but Jeb really hit it on the money, man. Where we come out smelling so much better is that our equipment isn't out of place. Uh-huh. Our equipment where it's supposed to be. Our bags are where they're supposed to be. Uh, our pilot's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, on more than one occasion, Jeb and I traveling together, and I know each of us individually, wound up staying someplace for a night that really wasn't in the plan. But that's what Mother Nature said, thou shalt do, right. mm-hmm. or thou shalt be stupid. Mm-hmm. So you set that puppy out, and you live to fight another day, and... Yeah. 
you know, we've had instances where waiting overnight someplace and then bailing out early in the morning got us in to where we needed to be the next day within an hour of when we needed to be there to begin with. So by waiting it out, we basically eliminated a big bunch of risk that wasn't going to gain us a bloody thing. Yeah, I had an episode years ago. I was trying to get from Manassas, Virginia, to uh, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And uh, my passenger and I got to the airport, and, and uh, you could tell off, off to the west it was dark. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's look at the radar here and, and uh, before we make any, any, do anything drastic. And, of course, the radar was just a, a, a line of red extending north-south and then moving from the west to the east. Uh, and, yeah, and I looked at that. And I said, well, um, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I flaked out in the pilot's lounge for about an hour and I said, you know, I'll probably hear the storm go over and uh, once it's gone over, we'll get going, but we're not going anywhere right now mm-hmm. and not in my airplane anyway. Right. And um, that's exactly what we did. I don't know if he got a nap or not. I don't care. Um, and um, the storm, the, the uh, cold front went through, the squall line went through. And uh, I woke to a cup of coffee and some nice, clean, clear, crisp air. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we mounted up and, and uh, motored on off to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And it was, uh, it was obviously the right thing to do. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we, we came across. We were coming back from the sun and fun, I think, the second time that we were able to fly ourselves. And we'd been camping for a week. And we were kind of looking forward to the idea of getting in clean sheets and a real bed off the ground, not in a tent. And we got to what was going to be our last fuel stop uh, for a a two-fuel stop trip and go hauling butt into the FBO and call up the weather while the weather's coming up. We're punching up the uh, phone number for flight service, and we're looking at this line of pencil thin red one end in Dallas one end in O'Hare clicking toward one another with every six minute update to the picture and looking like the door's going to close in about an hour in Little Rock or right near Little Rock which interestingly enough for us is an hour and a half ahead not going to get there before that. And that nice flight service guy from uh, uh, from Mississippi came on, and he said, Son, I don't care if you have VFR or IFR. I don't care if you got storm scope radar or a direct pipeline to the Almighty. I just want to tell you, I got military pilots, airline pilots, and guys flying at 600 asking me for a place to hide. <laughs> now, how can I help you? And I think that and all I said was, sir, that's good enough for me. Know any good hotels in Greenville, Mississippi? And he goes, yes, sir. And if you go this way, there's some great casinos and restaurants. Have a lovely click. <laughs> that's great. Next morning at the airport, airplane park next to us had two of the three tie-downs broken and it had pivoted the other way and tangled with the airplane next to it and they weren't going anywhere Mm -hmm. yeah two of the three lines on us 
we could have played bass to Hey Jude. I think I understand. <laughs> they were strong, tight, baby. Strong, tight. There we go. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. I, think, I think I... Never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, so yeah, Jeb, yeah, when yeah. you put this item on the on the list, um, so you put this item on the list. We the, the little title oh, you said oh. is this week in crosswind landings. All right, <laughs> and and when I first saw this, I thought, okay, another crosswind landing video. The internet is filled with crosswind landing videos. This is going to be kind of oh, oh um, right? And so I watched this video. Holy crap! What a video this is. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just see if I can set the scene here. All right, it shows a relatively tight shot of an airliner of some sort. What sort of aircraft is that? It's a seven. So that's seven. A, yeah. A triple seven? Yeah. Triple seven. Seven sixty-seven. Seven sixty-seven on on sort of mid short short final. All right, and you can't see the ground. You can't see the runway. You can't see the the, the runway environment. You just see the aircraft. And from the angle of the aircraft, I'm watching this video and I'm thinking to myself, okay, the runway he's going to land on is is going from the right to the left on my screen. Okay, <laughs> because that's the way the airplane is oriented. It's going from from right to left. All right, and as this airplane descends and it's getting banged around. And it's kind of like you know hanging in there and doing doing all the right stuff, but it's getting back. And suddenly the runway comes in view, and you suddenly realize no, the runway is not going from right to left. It's going from left to right. This guy is seriously crabbed in order to uh, stay, uh, you know, going straight towards this runway. Um, what was your thought, Jeb, when you first saw this video? Um, he's he's a great technique. Uh, I've never seen that done with that class of aircraft before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have wanted to have ridden through it. I can certainly see how I might have flown through it. Um, but <laughs> the thing that really caught my eye was the whoever put this video together, at the end of it, he, he did some um, some uh, slow motion and, and back and, and rewind things to it. And when that when the the first main gear hits the ground, that's something to see. Yeah, he beat the living oh, crap out yeah, of these gears. No, I mean, he hit, a, no. hit hard and kind of sideways. And yeah, and, but and, you can see the whole thing flex. You can see the the tires spin up, and they're out. Of, they're a little bit out around initially. Um, and a little bounce in there too. He left the ground a, again. There's a bounce in there, and when, but when he came down, he was perfectly aligned with the center line, more or less, and wings were level, and that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like the, the technique. I mean, he planted that that upwind um, um, main main gear, and uh, he let it get a little bit at Caterwampus there uh, on the bounce. But after that, it looked like it was all under control. There was a little bit of rudder thing going on, but I wouldn't have, I couldn't have done that any better. Yeah, I know, David. You were going to say something. Well, the first thing that caught my attention about this video is when he's still way the hell out there still about a mile and a half out and looking at just how freaking much those wings are flexing yeah yeah okay i mean let's talk about a hint at just how rough the air is how gusty uh the air is for an aircraft that size to be getting what and, and i'm going to go out on a limb here and i'm going to say four four and a half feet of flex yeah. Uh, between the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, you know, the Alpha up and the Omega down, maybe six feet of flex. And I know they're meant to flex a lot. But holy cow, 
and that was on my mind. That was a thing, and I'm waiting to see how hard the wings flex when they hit the ground, and I saw that <laughs> gear, and I went, oh, my God, how did he not blow out right. every tire on that truck? That's right. Uh, um, but yeah, watching the vertical stab flex uh-huh. as the rudder goes in and out on the during the slow mo, the slow mo baby is an eye opener. If you want to tell people, if you want to give them a demonstration of how well built today's airliners are, mm-hmm. just let them watch the parts of the airframe flexing and not break, yeah. and kind of go boo and freaking wah. So yeah, hats off to the driver. Whether it was that left seat or right seat, uh, they they they've done some slips before. Yeah, it's a team effort. But uh, yeah, it, it, blowing it up full screen is like yeah okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we can only hope that when the time comes, we do as well. Well, Jack's, and and, and, and the touchdown here? after the hop. Yeah, I is think Jack- he pretty much compresses the stretch. Yeah, uh, the nose strut even even got uh, uh, a little work out there too. Is Jack here? Is he gone? Where is he? Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was muted. I'm still here. Um, so, uh, what did I say while I was muted? I think I probably said we'll put a show uh, a link to this uh, video in the show notes. And uh, but if you want to try and track it down quicker than that, um, go to YouTube and search for landing gear hammered in touchdown turbulence. Yeah, that might be a triple seven. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I'm I, terrible at this stuff, so I won't even try. But uh, from this angle, they all look alike. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble in some company. Yeah. All right. I, I, France I, for one. Right. I understand. This this is not an Airbus. I know that much. Okay. No, yeah. definitely not an. Airbus. All right. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. I've never dropped a whole camera out of it. We're not going to do the pig pen thing? I don't care. I didn't. I never watched that video. Um, we uh, so the, when this uh, all right, we're back. Uh, we uh, I skipped an I skipped an item on the list um, because we were running a little long. But apparently, you guys want to touch on this camera falling from the airplane into the pig I, pen. I, video. I, don't, I don't, don't have to. Yeah, we don't you, have to. Yeah, you only brought it up. You know, I skip items all no, the time, I, and you I, never mention them. Or you mentioned you know, this one. You, you you put this on the list. I'm we, not convinced. Everything we've talked about has been pretty much what Dave or I put on the list. Wanted to make sure that something you had on the list no, had I, the opportunity to be discussed. Do you That's buy not. this video? I'm not sure if I buy this video. I, you know, I mean, it certainly goes to what I've said before, is that everything is caught on video these days, all right? But this is, was just too convenient, all right? So it's the, the story is, the kind of, you know, the kind of idea here is that it's a, it's, a, it's a GoPro camera or some sort of, you know, small portable camera that is going to be used by some skydiver guys, and there you and the initial at the beginning of the video you see them in the jump plane getting ready to jump all right the big open door and they're holding this camera and you just kind of see things in the co- in in the cabin and then all of a sudden the the camera falls out of the airplane and it falls and falls and falls and spins and spins and falls and falls and spins and spins and 
And that's kind of an interesting little light show, little thing that happens with that, all right? And then it reaches the ground. You kind of almost, because it's spinning and flipping and flopping, and you really can't see very, very clearly, but you sort of make out the ground approaching. And all of a sudden, it hits the ground, all right? And the, and then the, so the story goes, the, the impact did not, not only didn't destroy the camera, but it landed in such a way that it was like sort of lens up and you could see the environment in which it landed, which happened to be a pig pen, all right, a, a, an area where pigs were grazing or whatever it is pigs do, all right. And one particular pig comes over to investigate, pigs being the intelligent creatures they are, saw this camera and came over to, to investigate. And, 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 and I stopped the video. I don't know how much further it goes. I stopped the video when we were getting really dramatically sharp, high-definition pictures of the inside of a pig's mouth <laughs> right, as it was sort of somehow exploring this camera. Right. I'm not sure if I buy this video. I'm not sure if I buy it. It's all too convenient. I don't know. Explain to me the the video during the segment in which the the camera was falling. Yeah. Because that just did not seem to me to be uh, legitimate. Well, I don't There's know. something you, going on there. Well, you know, I think if it's real, what it was doing was the camera was tumbling or spinning or somehow it was, yeah. it was rolling. It was, it was spinning. All right. I don't know what, what, what axis it was spinning on, uh -huh. um, but it was spinning and it somehow, and at first you see it moving the, the spin, the, the images are kind of ro rolling and spinning. And, and at a, after a certain point, the image kind of stabilizes a little bit. And, and I think the, yeah, like it's falling lens down. Right, and I think the notion was that 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 the spin rate kind of coincidentally matched the 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 frame rate such that it was like taking a shot every time around as it spinned kind of thing, um, and and that's one of the things that tipped me off. I mean, not tipped yeah. me off, but made me suspicious. Yeah, right? it was like a little convenient. All right, that that it yeah. that it did this interesting thing and then stabilized so you could sort of make out what was happening. But for it to land lens up. In a pig pen. No, I don't know. Anyways, right. Yeah. I, that, that's more than enough on this subject. I'm really, you really want to, I didn't particularly, that's why I skipped I'll, it. I, I, I'll offer this as a quick and dirty. Yeah. 30 seconds. Go ahead. Many years ago, not long after moving to Wichita, we had a huge tornado. Months after the tornado, a friend of mine was helping volunteers walk through wheat fields to make sure they were free of tornado debris before the combines came through to harvest the wheat. One of the things that they found in one of the wheat fields that the tornado had passed over was a Canon 35-millimeter professional-grade film camera. Uh-huh. It was intact. It was buried about six feet in dirt, lens up, as it turned out, and somebody saw the reflection and dug it out. The film was fine. The camera was sent in. It functioned. They were able to track down the owner by the serial number who had long been since reimbursed. Uh, but those puppies can survive. I, yeah, I guess. Okay. This one I'm not quite buying. No, me neither. Moving on. Um, so apparently, until very recently, the FAA owned an oper operational, operative, what's the right word, airworthy um, DC-3. Um, oh, for years. 
and uh, I, I know there's there's a great many DC three still flying. Um, I guess I never really occurred to me that the FAA might actually have one, um, <laughs> but they don't anymore. Um, they've retired it and uh, sent it off to uh, the uh, to just in the just in the last week. Yeah, to a museum. I'm, what, what, remind me what I'm looking at the link here. It's uh, November three four. She was at Oshkosh for the fiftieth anniversary yeah. of the DC three. Oh, yeah, she yeah. was. Okay, she was. And they've uh, sent it off apparently to the Texas Air and Space Museum in Amarillo, um, where it will uh, be on display. Um, you know, so it's just kind of on one level, you know, recognizing the retirement of a of an instance of a great airplane, and uh, that's kind of cool. But the the part that kind of disturbed it almost disturbed me. It does disturb me. All right. Is that uh, apparently part of the the deal between the FAA and the museum was that uh, they are not allowed to ever fly this airplane again, and and that seems kind of sad to me. I, I'm not wild about that part of this whole story. I uh, had a chance to work with some of the people involved in the operation of this airplane, and we tried to work out an air-to-air session at Oshkosh the year that it came. And let me keep this at the kindest and simplest I can. There's not necessarily the clearest thinking that goes on when this airplane's involved because there's some real emotional attachment to it by the people that operated it, that restored it. And But wouldn't that argue that they want to see it keep flying, or is it they don't want it to see it hurt, you know, that. dramatically hurt? I think they want to see it. I think they feel like it's an old dog or an old horse that shouldn't be worked anymore. But that's just my okay. impression. Well, I, I, I guess I could it, see some... It, it also may be a lawyer thing. I mean... Well, there is the lawyer thing. You know, I guess that might be part of it. But uh, it's just kind of um, unfortunate. I've always felt bad about aircraft on static display. It's just kind of like, you know, an airplane that's on permanent static display, in my view, is not an airplane anymore. It's sculpture. It's beautiful sculpture. But right. It's, right. But it's sculpture. And uh, um, airplanes, if at all possible, should be flying or able to fly. And that's... And it's not like it's an unknown entity and that you can't still get parts for it. Yeah, that's I know. True. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's fewer and fewer every day, but there's still plenty of DC-3s flying. And some, some must die so that others may live. <laughs> I guess, but that's, <laughs> that's not what's happening here either. It's apparently. true, and it's, it's true. And I know many an airplane that signed an organ donor card. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, let's see now, uh, David. What did you put on this list here? At last, a true experimental amateur built jet. This is apparently about the Sonex jet, right? What's the there's some sort of milestone right, they the, just passed? The, the, sub, the subsonics. Uh, well, when when Sonics, it's based east across the main runway at Oshkosh from where AirVenture is held. When Sonics announced that they were developing a possible amateur-built jet, uh, their initial product was a limited-edition kit that could only be built and approved under the uh, exhibition, experimental exhibition category, because right. it wasn't 51% eligible. Uh-huh. Now Sonex is offering an experimental amateur-built, 51% approved version of the subsonic jet for about five grand less than the uh, exhibition category airplane. 
and apparently they're looking at producing more in volume than they originally planned to with the exhibition class version. So now's your opportunity. 120K, and I believe that's everything including an engine. Including the engine, okay, all right. And you can own, you can build, own, and fly. Now, I believe that per the regs, and I did not reference this immediately, so I could be wrong here, but I believe the regs will still require the pilot to get a letter of authorization for the FAA because it is a jet. Mm-hmm. But it won't require type rating, and What's it involved? will be cheap to fly. What's involved in getting such a letter of authorization? Is it just kind of basically a checkout you know, after some training? Well, you, you, you'll need to do the training separately, and how they're going to deal with that, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, because it's going to fly a hell of a lot like a regular Sonex or One X anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure what the LOA will involve, and, and I may be wrong on that point, but I've not yet seen a jet on the ramps here in the States that didn't involve some kind of LOA from the FAA for you to get insurance. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect it to be real complicated, a demonstration of competency, a familiarization, and a flight check that they'll have to observe. Because obviously, this is a single-seat airplane, so they're not going to be able to ride along and pink-sheet you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you'll this have to is wait for that it, when you're on the ground. And, and this is only a one-seat aircraft, right? That's the solo, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, right. Okay. Jeb, anything you want to add about this uh, little Um jet? No, it sounds like a really cool little. Um, it does kind of, doesn't it? Um, little uh, aircraft. I, I, uh, it, it's, in a way, it's it's you know totally frivolous because it's a jet, <laughs> but it's a single seat jet. Um, and uh, as as Dave correctly points out, there's no type certificate available, uh, so there's no. Um, um, I, I don't know what's so way, frivolous about it. I mean, I need to go someplace fast, and I don't care if anybody else gets there. Well, nothing okay. about that. <laughs> okay, and I, I get that. I get that, but that's I don't know how it's being marketed. Is it being marketed to the uh, the uh, solo businessman who who's going to use it for for travel? I doubt it. I doubt yeah. it. It's but uh, it'd be cool to fly one. I no agree. Question. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, this this one meets my Mikey test. With your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mikey, right. Mikey, he likes it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let, let Dave fly it. He'll fly anything. Um, Damn near it. Yeah. Two more stories here before we go to shout outs here. Uh, we've got one story about a, I don't know, I, think I don't want to get too, a, a, a passing, and the other of a rebirth. All right. The passing is that since we last did an episode, um, we've heard, we knew this was coming. The Skycatcher is done. Cessna has officially um, discontinued the, the, the Skycatcher. And uh, that's, uh, you know, I think it was probably inevitable, but uh, it's kind of sad. David, you actually flew one of these things. You, you? Yeah, uh, from uh, California to Jeb's house. Uh, and uh, there wasn't a thing wrong with how that airplane flew. Uh, it was just too expensive. It was right? too heavy. It was too expensive. It was too fuel-thirsty compared to the competition. Uh, I've written about this on the UCAP blog. I've talked about it in magazine article. Uh, too many of the decisions made in the sky catcher's development were made void of any real concern for the end user. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest freaking way I can put it. Yeah. 
It yeah. doesn't get to be a shorter sentence than that. So, Dave, wh- why do you think that was? Why do you think ultimately Cessna made all of these decisions? Um, <laughs> at, at, you know, at various points with respect to the engine, with respect to the control system layout, with respect to um, uh, how heavy the airplane was, with respect to where it was manufactured. Um, or, I really I don't think Cessna assembled. made those, uh, my friend. I really don't think that anybody at Cessna made such decisions. I think those decisions were made by Textron, yeah, yeah, based on the theories that have been popular in American capitalism recently. Mm-hmm. That everything's cheaper to do in China. You can't build anything affordably in the United States. Uh, where the end users lost out was when Cessna gave more weight to the concerns of the dealers who are going to sell what Cessna has for them to sell, okay? Right, right. But the dealers and the distributors and the flight schools that are all beholden to Cessna wanted the Continental. And Textron said, oh, that's what we'll do. And Cessna objected strenuously and Continental said wait we can make a lighter version of the O200 and to their credit they did it wasn't as light as a Rotax 912 UL it still was about 30 pounds to 40 pounds away from hitting that weight but it was about 25 to 30 pounds lighter than a standard O200 Continental that still produced the nice easy 100 horsepower that was one mistake. The other mistake is a Rotax 912 at 75% cruise, depending on the day, can give you anywhere from three and a half to just a shade over four gallons an hour. 75%. I know I'm going to get beat up on this because somebody's going to say, well, I, way I fly mine, I only burn three gallons an hour. You're not flying at 75% power then. At 75% power, an O200 is going to burn about five and a quarter to five and a half, leaned optimally depending on the day. It's the same way in a 172. It's the same way in a Skycatcher. I mean, sorry, in a 150. It's the same way in a Skycatcher. It doesn't magically change because you made it lighter. Fuel injecting electronic ignition, those things would change it, but the lightened O200 for the Skycatcher had neither of those. So it wound up with that condemns your end user to always spending more on gas. It condemns your flight school buyer to always spending a lot more on gas because flight school airplanes almost never get down to 75% power except on final. Right, right. So what's happening now to... uh, um, So Cessna is no longer selling this aircraft. What happens to all the unsold aircraft and pieces and parts? Most of them, according to Cessna uh, slash Textron, are going to be used as spare parts fodder, mm-hmm. uh, which means they're going to be cannibalized, some of them, uh, well, probably we talk, most of them. You know, we talked about some of this in right. a recent episode, yep. and, and I remember Googling or, or looking on the FAA website about uh, how many registered skycatchers there were, and as I recall, there was upwards of 250 or so. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, now there was, we also talked about were all of those purchased outright or were they a majority of them on leases from Cessna? 
Well, okay, the leases is an interesting question, I agree. Yeah. And then you get into the question of, well, are we going to see another uh, episode like we saw with Beach and the Starship, where Beach had leased a bunch of Starships, um, never having outright sold them. And that is one, interesting. Yeah. One of them back took them out of service. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to have to support right. th- those airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't answer that question. I know it's been raised here locally in mm-hmm. the Wichita community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some eye rolling about. It's funny how dumb people can be sometimes. Uh, I heard one guy tell me that Cessna and Textron's liability for this thing really didn't run all that deep or far because the airplanes were made in China and good luck suing the Chinese. And I said, I'm sorry, but the name on the type certificate is not CAIC in China. Right. Name on the type certificate, or the, uh, I'm sorry, not the type certificate, the consensus paperwork. The ASTM approval mm-hmm. is Cessna, mm-hmm. not some Chinese company. It's Cessna. Yeah. So that's well, all it takes. And Cessna has lots of facilities in the U.S., and that makes them on the hook. Uh, whether they do that, I'm, 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 I'm kind of leaning toward the other question. Is there an asset here that somebody else could yeah. succeed with? Yeah. Right. Will it be an where Cessna kind of failed? Because first off. They wouldn't have to pay the full cost of the R&D, and maybe they could find a less expensive way mm-hmm. of building a freaking thing huh. without shipping engines, avionics, wheels, tires, brakes, and sheet metal across the Pacific so that somebody else can build them and ship them back again as a whole airplane. Right. Well, It costs money both ways, Kitty, and the money mm-hmm. is by the pound. I know. Jeb, wrap it up. Um, what does this have to say? about Textron's outlook on some Beechcraft products. Well, now I'm, that Textron owns Beechcraft. Yeah. I'm very afraid. See, this is what I was getting at when we talked about this a, a bunch of episodes ago. I just don't think Textron has the right attitude. But we'll I don't see. think so either. I, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hey, but on a much more positive note, um, <laughs> a, a happy note, and, and that is that uh, the Moonies are back. Okay, so Mooney, the, the, the great air fa- aircraft manufacturing company, which uh, ran into big financial troubles uh, a bunch of years ago and stopped manufacturing, I believe, like <coughs> five years ago, um, has announced uh, just the other day that they have now begun manufacturing aircraft again, which is very cool, I think. It's a happy time for Mooniac. Yeah, I know. I, we should get James to talk about this, but, uh, you know, he's got his, so what does he care? But uh, That's right. That's right. You know. Well, are they are they going to start putting the tail on correctly? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, it didn't work. You know, it wasn't broke. Don't fix it. I don't know. Something, there's a joke in there somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I know they should get the fix. Yeah. You know, the whole tail is just so broken on that airplane. And, I know. It's just. It's just weird. It's, I, I'm shocked, shocked that they allow that you know out of the factory. <laughs> well, it's worth remembering Cessna was out of piston production longer. That's I, true. I guess that's true. But that that's was true. more of a. Well, okay. I see what you're saying, David. That's a good point. They 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 stopped making the 172s for a long time. They stopped making piston airplanes. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah. For for almost ten years. Mm-hmm. But. And not to say that they don't have the base, they both have the base, you know, the same kind of, you know, foundation. 
Mooney was a Mooney almost died. I mean, Mooney was bankrupt. I mean, they may not have been legally bankrupt, but right, they were had they they, they were they, they went through a succession owners who didn't right. know what the hell to do with them. Cessna, mm-hmm. on the other hand, just made a business decision to stop making those airplanes for a while. <clears throat> yeah, and at the time, nineteen eighty six. Uh, there was every reason to stop, right? Because no real reason to continue, right? It was that whole liability thing that got fixed by the uh, what was it called? But the General the, Aviation Recovery Act of nineteen ninety four. So it's a very different kind of situation. But yay, Mooney! Um, and uh, it's or was a revitalization, revitalization, revitalization. That sounds right. But uh, but yay, Mooney! We're we're glad to see that Mooney has returned. And uh, um, are, are they just going to? They're obviously I don't know obviously, but is it the case that they're just going to start? continue building models that they built before. Yeah. If they're smart. If they're smart, yeah. You don't want to basically a turnaround or startup situation, go out and try to certificate a new model. Yeah. According to the story Um, we're looking at in aviationtoday.com, it says here, uh, Chen. Who is Chen? It sounds like a CEO, Jerry Chen, um, Mooney International CEO. Chen announced the company's return to the industry back in November. The first aircraft to come off the assembly line will be a single-engine M20TN Acclaim type wow. S. Are, are there twin-engine versions of that? I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you think, it's, and it's aviation today. It's not like it's you know USA Today. I know. I know. Um, but, uh, uh, the flip side of that is... Um, it's my understanding that when Mooney ceased production, there were aircraft on the assembly line. That's my and, understanding, too. That everything just stopped. The aircraft that are being newly manufactured today um, are, are part of those. Uh-huh. Or some of them are, anyway. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know where I know that from. but no, That sounds familiar to me, too. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. congratulations, Mooney. Yay, that's great. And, yeah. Uh, it, you no, still... Yeah. Okay, you still build one thing. of the most striking and most efficient airplanes mm-hmm. ever ever flown. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but it's still I agree with Jeb. It looks like a pusher prop canard aircraft that's just going the wrong way. <laughs> shout outs. We got a whole uh, bunch of shout outs here. There's no way we're going to get to all these shout outs. You're going to get mail on that. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do just one. <laughs> I, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first. Um, okay. So, uh, a, a long-time listeners of this podcast will know that I've always been tickled by the uh, by the Alton Bay, uh, New Hampshire, uh, ice runway. Uh, the uh, the seaplane base, it's actually charted as a seaplane base during most of the year, but uh, when the lake freezes, Lake Winnipesaukee up here in New Hampshire, when the, when the water freezes and becomes the ice becomes thick enough, they uh, plow a runway uh, out on the ice and uh, open up a, an official charted uh, air, airport there uh, at Alton Bay um, in New Hampshire, and uh, and uh, on a particular weekend each year, they uh, the, the town of Alton Bay holds a little winter carnival, and people fly in, and it's quite a day. And uh, there's actually a uh, in the forums. I just noticed as I was putting together this episode, the, the notes for this episode, um, our, our pal um, Laminar, um, a regular listener, Rick Shep, in in the forums has posted a couple of pictures from I, th- I think it's from that day, and and one of them shows him digging his airplane out of his little hangar to uh, to fly his ski plane, his ski-equipped cub um, uh, uh, during those days. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ski planes up here. So, anyways. I, I confess, I, I don't know enough about the, the original basic cub to know whether or not it has cabin heat. 
Uh, good question. I uh, let me think about this because I rode I rode in Rick's um, um, uh, Cub uh-huh. with skis one winter, and um, I, I remember being bundled up. I remember the door <laughs> popping open on takeoff, and and I'm trying to wrestle the door closed, and uh, and I'm trying to say, "You fly the airplane, please don't mess with the door." And he insisted on messing with it. That that was just a passenger check to make sure you were paying attention. Yeah, I know. Um, it was pretty. It wasn't. It wasn't warm. I, I have no idea the answer to your question, Jeb. No, um, I don't, I'm, it's got no electrical system. Maybe it's got heat. You know, it's, it's got this. The electric. Most heating systems in GA aircraft don't depend on electricity. Right, that's true, but you know, so uh, it's probably you know got some sort of thing going off the manifold to make some heat. It, went, it wasn't in cra- thing, It wasn't crazy cold, so I'm saying there was heat. I'm going to say there was heat in this. One aircraft. thing unavoidable: the way aircraft heating systems work. The slower you go, the colder you go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, anyway, so go fast. Yeah. Go fast. David, you seem like you had a shout-out. What would you got? I got a shout-out for a mutual friend of Jeb and mine, and I think you've met him, too. His name's Rick Perry. And Rick's got the this, this poor, low-level job as vice president of government affairs for the Aircraft Electronics Association. And uh, Rick was uh, uh, in town a little over a week ago, and I was privileged to to bend an elbow with him and spend some time. Uh, and I found out that Rick was in town because earlier in the week, the National Air Transportation Association had named Larry, I mean Rick, where did I go here, had named Rick as the uh, winner of the NATA's Aviation Journalism Excellence Award. Very nice. And I sent Rick a note about that, and he sent me back a kind of a chuckling note, said, yes, it's only been 30 years since he wrote his first article. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, uh, nothing like an overnight success to, to make mm-hmm. a guy feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but- hats off to Rick. It was good seeing him here. Uh, he's always got something that uh, that he's working on that I learned things from. This last right. visit was not an exception. Uh but he's been writing articles for maintenance magazines and avionics magazines and for AEA's avionics news for a long time. He's retired Coast Guard. Uh, he's a licensed maintenance tech. Uh, he's a GA nut mm-hmm. and a hardcore motorcyclist mm-hmm. who more years than not rides his Bimmer from Washington to Oshkosh. That's DC Dosh, gosh, to work the show, where Beamer. he is generally on the west <laughs> ramp as a volunteer, uh, at least on the run up to the show. So, from all of us to all of you, congrats, Rick. Much deserved. Yeah, well, a long time coming and, and very well deserved. Congrats, Rick. It's it's a it's a beamer, not a bimmer. It's a it's a beamer, not it's a, a bimmer. Beam. The bimmer's the bimmer's the four wheel version. <laughs> I see. This beamer is like like the chewing gum, right? No, beamer is the two wheel version. Bimmer is the four wheel oh, version. Oh, okay. I always got that backward. Uh huh. So it's uh-huh. sort of like the Waco Waco thing, right? That's right. Uh, no, Waco's it's, a, it's it's Waco's a street three blocks east of yeah. it. Bimmer for the two wheel version. <laughs> <laughs> Any other shout-outs? What do you got? De- Jeb, you got anything? Yeah, I got one. Um, first annual Aaron Smith Smithsonian Magazine uh, photo contest. Uh-huh. Uh, 
is on uh, their website. Um, some uh, some of these I think I'd seen before, or maybe in the run up to this when they were um, uh, posting the the uh, images that they were considering. Uh, but there, there there's still some some very good images in this. Um, there's some the spacecraft uh, category is pretty much all space shuttle uh, kinds of of aircraft. The uh, the military is is a little bit interesting, but uh, the uh, people in planes and uh, the civilian uh, categories are very very interesting. Some very good images there. I was I was uh, uh, very interested to see them. So I, I would certainly commend this to anyone. And uh, you know um, there's a, there's a couple of guys in here that. Uh, we recognize and uh, have have perhaps multiple images in the contest, and then in fact one. But there's also people who just out took a snapshot, mm-hmm. uh, and just have to be in the right place at the right time with a camera, and it doesn't have to be a very fancy camera. Um, so you know, uh, next time this contest comes around, um, you know, ship some in and see what happens. Nice. Yeah. Is that it? Anything else? Fork time. That's it. Fork, Fork time. time. Somebody on Twitter recently attributed fork. The, this whole fork thing was yours, Jeb. I'm pretty sure it was yours. And stick the fork, I think it in. Was, stick the fork yeah. in it. But somebody on Twitter said, as Jack Hodgson says, it's time to stick a fork in it. And uh, no, that was Jeb who says, time to stick a fork in it. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Thank you, Jeb. It's great talking with you. What have you uh-huh. been working on? Anything? Well, you said earlier, maybe this was before we started recording, you said you've been goofing off. I haven't been working on a blinking thing for this business related or that would make me any money here in the last week or so. Um, but that's all going to change on uh, Monday and, and uh, carry into actually March and April. So kind of a mini, uh, a, stay, a staycation, if you will. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, so uh, uh, gearing up for the um, April issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, gearing up for uh, yet another piece in uh, uh, avionics um, news, uh, AEA's magazine, and uh, a few other projects that I can't really talk about right now and may be able to later on down the road. Um, and uh, did it, did it, did it, that's it. Okay. Where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, jeburnside.com, uh, which is pretty much, uh, um, I, I need to work on it some more. Um, you've only been uh, saying that for like I, six well, years. I, I did finally just take everything behind the front page down. Oh, oh okay. Well, yeah, so yeah, okay. All right. Well, yeah. good. That's progress. And, yeah. Yeah, that's progress. And, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens next uh-huh. to it. But, uh, AEA.net for avionics news, uh, aviation safety magazine.com. Uh, sometimes I'm on the Twitter machine. Uh, sometimes I'm on the Facebook machine. There you go. And Dave Higdon, always good talking with you. You, uh, Dave, is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. You've been working on anything fun, David? Oh, a you're the busiest of man in, in aviation journalism. Is there anything you can tell us about? I guess that's really the question. Well, I actually had time to actually look up what I did last month that's running this month in one of my clients. You actually prepared for this little moment? Oh, tell us. Tell well, us. 90, 90 seconds ago I did. And I was like stunned. Oh, yeah, I remember doing that. A uh, little article on advising passengers, bosses, and others with expectations on uh, why you can't get where you're going because of some issue with weather that cropped up between when you got the forecast and filed your flight plan and when you got into the air. For example, that 
that uh, line of weather that's supposed to be mild and easy and soft IFR turns into level four weather, you say, you know, I'm not going that way. Uh, we did something similar the month before about things that can make your runway disappear and how that can have an influence on forcing you to make a new decision. So that's what we were talking about this month in world aircraft sales. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so where in general can people find you on the Internet? Oh, aircraft, uh, world aircraft sales, uh, you start with uh, avbuyer.com. Uh, I show up pretty regularly in avionics news that's available through aea.net, like Mr. Burnside there, and occasionally in Aviation Safety Magazine or NBAA's Business Aviation Insider. Cool. And on Twitter, you are? Uh, real Higdon. Thank you. There you go. There you go. Thanks to a real good friend. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, on the latest episode of the Around the Field podcast, I spoke with, uh, uh, we, as we mentioned him just a few minutes ago, CFI, a glider evangelist, and a guy who flies a no-electric system cub all over New England, Rick Shep, uh, Laminar. Um, and you can find that episode on AroundTheField.net. Also, please check out my Kindle eBooks uh, at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. And uh, you can learn pretty much more than you ever really wanted to know about me at JackHodgson.com, um, AroundTheField.net, and at Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes uh, and also in the forums. Uh, don't forget that you can uh, check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. You can see who's doing what in the new, rating, new ratings web page of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, David, were you going to say something? Live a long, happy life by... Long and airtime because you know you go fly. That time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You know, I th I think I've heard that from Dave before. I just can't remember when. <laughs> <laughs>